This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are busy figuring out Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett's investing strategies because we believe that they can be proven hard to say for sure, but Always. proven to be the very most successful investing strategies anybody's ever invented. If what you want is- <laughs> Is it correlation uh, or is it causation? <laughs> and also, who cares if it works? <laughs> well, I, yeah, you could say that, but I do. I mean, uh, we're spending our, our careers doing this and it seems to be working. True. So, so maybe um, it's an indicator of causation. I, I think that, you know, you look back and I, I, I go with Lee Lu. I don't think there's anything better. I mean, I'm watching all these guys make a lot of money. The millennial, there's a bunch of millennials that are jumping into the markets now. And um, not just millennials, but a lot of millennials, apparently. And uh, really driving markets and pushing markets. And and um, as we were talking, they're basically doing, you know, boilerplate room, boiler room, boilerplate, boiler room kinds of, of stuff where, you know, if you... If you do it wrong, you go to jail. Um, What's a boiler room? What does that mean? A boiler room is a, a, a title for a group of um, criminal uh, hustlers who select a penny stock, typically, and then they hype it. They 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 tell people it's going to go up, and there's this kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy as they sell the idea that it's going to go up. People buy it, and it's so thinly traded that it responds immediately to a very small number of shares being purchased. So you could also even start start the ball rolling by purchasing it. Huh. Uh, now, this drives the so stock it's like price up. So it's like an old-timey term? Oh, yeah. This is an old-timey term for – okay. Uh, you know, it goes all the way back in the stock market, people hyping stocks. Yeah. And so with, with penny stocks, you can actually buy the stock and drive it up with just a few thousand dollars. And um, it becomes like, oh my gosh, this guy that called me knew what he was doing. I just watched this go from 13 cents to 18 cents. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's 50% return in a matter of a day. Oh yeah. When he calls back, I'm in. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, And then they would just take people's money because they would... What they would do is they would just hype it, hype it, hype it, hype it. And when the hype stopped, the stock would crash back to a more reasonable level. And these guys were just doing it to sell stocks. They were just taking commissions, big, huge commissions. So this is very oh, much Wolf of Wall Street stuff. It was just for commissions. Initially, right? Or That's how it gets started. Sure. And then, the buying and the selling. Yeah. Okay. You, you make a ton of money on big spreads between the bid and the ask on penny stocks. And so- then it became even more of a criminal enterprise where you would um, you would take a position, hype it up without telling anybody you have the position, mm -hmm. and then sell it mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. the very people you are telling to buy it. Mm -hmm. And um, so this behavior is uh, not particularly uh, great for 
for stockbrokers. They get they get they'll go to jail. They lose their license and potentially go to jail. But if you're not a stockbroker and you're not taking commissions, the SEC is standing back from all these people on Reddit who are pumping stocks. This is it's called pump and dump, and they know they're actually doing it. They're pumping the stock. I bought this. Oh yeah, I've got a million in this. There's no question. Yeah, and and it's rocking. It's going to go. Dogecoin big. being go the prime example. Prime example. There's there's no fundamentals on that thing. It's a joke to start with. It was literally a joke coin. <laughs> yeah. So this is the famous pump and dump. So if you guys want to play this, I mean, have at it. It's a bit like going to Las Vegas and and rolling dice on a craps table. I mean, it's except that you can actually get other people going on this stuff. Oh man, a, a friend of mine who I, you know, I grew up with was, has been a very, very good day trader. And he told, he told me once that he started a rumor to get everybody rolling on this one stock. Just put the rumor out there. This is going to go big. I think a lot of big people are buying it, you know, and all this. And he'd taken a position before that. And the rumor was this going to happen, this is going to happen. And um, the rumor, it, it started out with him, he thinks, and then it came back to him in the form of this is actually happening. People, in terms of people buying? No, in terms of people saying what the news was on this company, that they were actually going to do this thing. Oh. That oh. was a rumor that he started and he oh, knew he started it. Oh. Wait a second. Words, Are you saying the company picked up on it and said, oh, that's a good idea. And now we're going to do it. Or are you mm -hmm. saying that people were saying it, that it was actually true? It came around like a telephone game. Okay, okay. That it was actually true and it was coming from so many places that Bob bought back in. He bought more thinking that, whoa, it's actually happening. And then it blew it blew up. It wasn't true at all. And okay. he, just, he just like <laughs> sat there and realized that he had started something and gotten caught up in the thing he'd started. Oh and uh, yeah, so... This is a fun game. I, I've never played it myself, but it looks like it doesn't a fun, sound fun, fun to me game. at all. Uh, oh, if you like to, but you're not a gambler. Yeah, I'm not a gambler. Neither are no, you. So. I'm not a gambler. Yeah. I, I I remember thinking it would be really fun to gamble. I was in the army down in in Latin America, and I I got into a casino for the first time in my life, and I put like twenty five cents in a slot machine and lost it, and it was like this is not fun. It's not <laughs> that fun was at it. all. I was I was done gambling. It's like truly. I remember uh, all the times we would go to Vegas and sit there with grandma at the, at the slot machines. Yes. And I wasn't allowed to gamble because I was a kid, but I would sit, sit, like stand there while she did it. And I kept just thinking like, when's the fun part going to come? Like, I don't, I'm not following this logic. And then I found out that yeah. there were all these other games and I was like, I bet those are really fun. <laughs> and then I tried some of them when I got to be old enough. They're not that fun. Yeah. Like there's a reason that people prefer to play poker as like a game of choice because that one actually is fun. But the rest of them are just, I don't know. It's not for me. It feels I, like I'm, I'm like honestly, I'm willing to spend as much as I would spend to like have that amount of fun. And it's just not that much fun. Yeah, I, I mean, we all sat there, watched mom play slot machines, and I don't think any of us had the slightest desire to go join her with at the slot machine next to her. And um, yeah, I'm, I've played. But you know, she Texas had fun because you would always give her a lot of money to put in the yeah, machine. 
It was very just, sweet. <laughs> we just keep feeding the money file. But yeah, we would, uh, we would, I would go play Texas Hold'em a few times and I've just never enjoyed it. I mean, I, oh, I don't know. I just, I'm not a fan. So. I got really into Texas Hold'em for like one summer when that show was on where they played Texas Hold'em on the show with all the celebrities and then they yeah. had like the experts and the celebrities and they would kind of teach them how to play. I have no idea what that show was called. Yeah. But it was on TV for like a few years at least. And I was writing my Oxford thesis and I would play that show while I was doing all my research and trying to write it because it gave me like an outlet. And so I learned sort of through osmosis how to play Texas Hold'em. <laughs> Oh my God. And it was actually very, very interesting. So that's gambling. Let's talk about the opposite of gambling. Yeah, let's do. And I want to let's start do. just before we get into the Charlie quotes, which we've been doing for this is our third episode on that. And uh, I'm quite enjoying them. We're going to be really lucky enough to have a guest soon who is an expert on the world's greatest investors, really. His name is William Green, and he wrote a recent book called Richer, Wiser, Happier. Um, super excited to talk to him about this. It's subtitled look, How look, the World's, look in the book. Look how in the the world's Greatest Investors Win in Markets and Life. So he went into, it's not like a how to Wait, invest I, book. I want you to look at look at the cover of the book um, on the back cover where they usually put the blurbs. Are you just focused on... I want to know if my blurb is on there. <laughs> That's what I thought you were going to ask. Um, <laughs> Dad, it is not. Okay, wait. Go to the inside. Which is weird because you're kind of a big deal. Oh, yeah. I'm such a big deal. Yeah, you're such a big deal. Go, go to the but inside he does have there. He does have some people who have written some really good books about investing. What am go I looking at? Front pages. The front pages. Sometimes they bl they put blurbs on the oh, front yes. pages. Let's sometimes. do everything we can to find. Yes. We Phil must Town. Know. No. Okay. Without spending a lot of but time doing it. But good lord, this is like an amazing list of. Yeah, he's blurbers. got a lot of people out there that. that Dad, I think maybe you turned in your blurb later than they printed the book. Oh, I'm so sad. Well, they must have discovered when they did uh, a significant amount of, of. Uh, sales testing that I didn't sell. I don't think that's true because I remember seeing, I don't know if it was on his website or whatever, but you're there. You're prominently featured. Uh, I want, I wanted to blurb that book. So I was really glad that his editor is the same guy as my editor on my first two books. And uh, Rick Horton just said, Hey, you got to blurb this book. This is a great book. And I read it and it was, you know, still in, it's really fun when you get books that are not in actual book form exactly. They're in the yeah. the printing form kind yeah, of thing. It's yeah. really cool. It makes it makes you feel like, whoa, I'm seeing this for the first time anybody ever saw it. Totally. Of, you know? And then to read it like that, it's like, it was so good. And it's so right up the alley of what we do and what we teach. So you guys I'm should get I'm super excited to read it. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to read it before he comes on the show. So Richer, Wiser, Happier, if you guys want to read it along with me, because I haven't read it yet, by William Green. And uh, and then we'll get to chat with him all about it. So there you go. Yeah. There's your there's your preview to uh, be ready to get as much as you can from that interview. And I I know William. I've had I've had lunch with him uh, uh, at an invitation from Guy Spear. William uh, worked with Guy Spear on Guy's book, mm -hmm. um, the the education, education of a value investor, investor, which is such a good book. Yeah. And um, and we had lunch together in New York, and I just really liked the guy. He's a fount of wisdom, as they say. 
uh, having been in this industry for almost 30 years of, of interviewing people, he really yeah. knows his stuff. He really knows, like everything I've heard from about him through Guy is just that he like knows so much about investing. So from, from the outside as a writer, yep. which is really yep. cool. Yep. So I'm talking to the people who really do it. And that's, that's the, right. That's the fun people to talk to. Yeah. So, all right, let's go with Charlie. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. So Charlie says. Let's wrap up um, the quotes here. So give me the best the best, best quotes the best all right all but right. i feel all like right. e there's no choosing really so now that i've said that i actually take it back all right so here's here's i think a really valuable quote for your life okay here you go this is bigger than investing but important for investing aren't they all <laughs> we, we both and that's warren buffett that he's talking about insist on a lot of time being available almost every day to just sit and think that is very uncommon in American business. We read and think. Now, what, what that obviously applies to in investing is the, the opportunity to just explore the world that you live in. Um, and a lot of that is driven by interest in a specific company that then you take deeper. As you know, as you know Danielle, you know, that's kind of where, where it leads. When you start digging into stuff. Yeah. You just keep going until you feel like you, you've you kind of solved all the mysteries, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so, right. When, when you're, if you're looking at grocery stores, you're going to look at a lot of stuff about grocery stores. And that expands out into the whole world. So the time to, to just sit and think and absorb it and just let it percolate is super important. And I try every I don't I don't know if you even know this, but... I try to structure my schedule so that every day from when I wake up until afternoon, for some reason, it's like lunchtime, just cut it off there. But that time, I, I try to schedule no meetings. I try to do no nothing except read and think. That's it. And I try to do that every day. And I, I man, I'll tell you, those feel like the most productive days of all when you're kind totally. of almost doing nothing. Totally, totally. It's the compounding of knowledge, of research and knowledge that creates such larger dividends than the the little bits here and there. And just and, as a corollary, Charlie just says the habit of committing far more time to learning and thinking than to doing is no accident. Hmm. Like you, there should be very little doing and quite a lot of learning and thinking. I think I also take from that when he's saying spend so much time just reading and and follow kind of he doesn't say this part, but kind of following your nose to what's interesting. And so many people ask me, how do they get over the hurdle of being bored by what they're reading about investing? Because so many things in it are boring. <laughs> so many things we read are boring. They just are. And it's what stops People who are not who are not experts in this, people who are not financial professionals, people what you, who what you tell them? whose expert is in other areas, it stops us. I always say you have to follow what's interesting, and I think that's exactly what Charlie's saying here. If you read the stuff that's boring, you're gonna stop. Like we just are. We are too busy and have too many other demands to continue to focus on something that isn't enjoyable. And so if there's something that's painful, just just don't read it. Just skip it. It may become interesting later on. Often it does. 
But if you skip it and move to what's interesting, first of all, you'll keep coming back every day or every week or however you manage your investing practice, which is 100% fundamental to being an investor. If you don't come back, you will not be an investor. So you have to make it so that you come back. And then once you've gotten over that hurdle, then it's, okay, what, what am I focusing on? What's interesting? What's interesting about this? What else do I need to know in order to really understand this interesting thing? And I found that typically then that thing that was really boring, which often for me is the financial stuff, becomes fascinating because now I have the context. Now I have questions. And the only way I can get answers to those questions is to read that stuff that on first glance was not very interesting to me. It works. I tell you, you know, the majority of time that we make mistakes in our lives, I think, is is because we kind of forget about what we're trying to do. You know, it's like you get caught up in something that's boring and it just feels like boring. It's a little bit like you get sick of working out or you get sick of being on a good, healthy diet because you forget what you're trying to do. Yeah, and it, it gets stops, boring. You're right. And it gets boring. It stops being important. And I, I think this is one of the reasons why we try to encourage people who are going through the beginning process of in, of learning to invest to make a promise to themselves not a you know we've talked about this many times before but just make a promise don't don't make this a goal because a promise means that you're much less likely to forget about what you're doing you're you're much more likely to remember oh yeah i am out to get financial freedom for my family and create generational wealth for my children that's what i'm doing and that is such a worthy thing. And I'm promised, I promised myself I'm going to do it, that it can help you get through the the boring stuff because there is boring stuff. It's absolutely the case. And you might, in the middle of that, not take Danielle's advice, you know, not shift to the things that are, are really interesting. And um, in the process, you sort of, uh, you know what? It's almost like I was thinking about this. It was almost like uh, doing a crossword puzzle. And you, if you just try to figure out one clue, you may discover you give up on the puzzle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you just kind of go down and get the stuff you can get, in other words, keep moving, keep yeah, moving Yeah, it's a forward, nice analogy. Yeah. Ultimately, you end up with enough other clues that the stuff you couldn't get, which was uh, unsolvable, is now, oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah. There's the answer. I mean, so maybe that helps to think about this. Yeah, I think I it hope. depends on what kind of person you are. Like the goal thing, it really doesn't vibe for me, but I hear you that it vibes for you. So the goal thing, the goal. Yeah. Thing. Or what did you say? It's a promise or a goal. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's we teach this. It don't make it a goal. Okay, make it a promise. Okay. Yeah, you goals. Yeah, will, you, it doesn't. Goals will help you. It fail. doesn't attract me, but mm. I mm. think that's a. You know, for some people, it definitely will. And that's great. Do what works for you. Yeah, I, I guess so. I'm sorry that doesn't attract you. I think it's one of the most powerful things you can do. Be like a little bit like saying doesn't really attract me to promise my husband I'm going to be faithful for the next lifetime. Is that doesn't really same? attract me. I'm not sure it's that's like the a same. Goal. It's I'm a sure goal. It's a goal. That's I the have. same in any way. I'm not really promising to be married because I'm not really attracted to that sort of time. Yeah, well, you can say it down. as much as you want, but that doesn't make it the same. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, we'll see. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm off here, but I think it's hugely important. Anyway, I hear let's you. Go on. So for you, it's hugely important. 
All right. For me, it's hugely important. And mm -hmm. because I'm teaching, I want my students to think it's hugely important, including you. So there. <laughs> All right. And speaking of teaching, Charlie said, there's no better teacher than history in determining the future. And we mm -hmm. want to talk about the future. It's like we've got inflation cranking up in the United States right now. I don't know how it's going in Europe. Are you guys seeing it? Yeah, a little bit. Not as much as there, I don't think. Okay, it's exploding here. I mean, it's there's so many things that have become scarce that are driving those prices up, right? Including including workers. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Workers in America have become scarce, not because of overemployment, but because the government is paying people to not work. And it's been very effective in preventing a lot of the pain and suffering from the COVID pandemic recession. And the, and the unexpected consequence of this, if you open a restaurant, there's a, a good restaurant here in Atlanta that is just saying, we cannot get people back <clears throat> who, who, I mean, they are making too much money just from the government that we can't get them to come back in. So uh, that's probably coming to an end relatively soon. I doubt that they're going to continue uh, to pay people to not work. But it's an amazing result here in America. We got, you can't People in small businesses can't hire anybody. Um, at least they can't hire them for the wages they're offering. Which yeah, is there's a lot directly, to say about that stuff. So. Well, it's directly to the point of inflation. Yeah, When you start raising wages, you are going to end up with, uh, with inflation because people... People are either getting their wages raised because they won't work otherwise. They've got other money, in which case you've created inflation. They're making more money, can spend more money. Um, or uh, they are not able to make a living on what they're being paid and won't work because why not just go on unemployment? So that combination is driving wages hard here in the U.S., um, with the result that people have more money to spend and are spending more money aggressively. Oh, not only that, but our savings rate here is something like 400% higher than it was pre-pandemic. Oh, really? I hadn't heard yeah, about it's that. A, it's amazing. Wow. And so um, the debt level by per household is down like at some sort of like four decade low. Wow, Which that's is great. Amazing. That's amazing. But it also stimulates that willingness as people start going back to work to spend, right? Yeah, and I mean, definitely. Have you, I mean, maybe you've, I've certainly experienced that. And of course, like being basically locked in my house for a year at this point uh, means that I have definitely not been spending the kind of money that I typically spend just to live what I would call a normal life for myself, travel, restaurants, doing fun stuff, buying clothes and shoes for those things, like sort of all the discretionary spending. I just haven't been doing that. And I've definitely noticed that as summer's coming, I've started thinking like, oh, I maybe like maybe we'll do something. Well, it's definitely <laughs> maybe I need a pair of shoes for the doing of the something. And, and you know, that is not something is that I've been away. doing. So I think people's 
behavior has very much been different over the last year. And that's really interesting to hear that it's reflected in the savings accounts. Yeah, well, it's going to be reflected in the inflation rate, and it is reflected there. Yeah. Um, not only that, but by keeping interest rates extremely low um, via the purchase of bonds um, at $120 billion a month, effectively the Federal Reserve is flowing about $2 trillion a year into the U.S. economy in dollars. And Russia, under Putin, just said we're no longer – we're getting rid of all of our U.S.-denominated uh, treasuries and all that. We're just going with hmm. euros, yuan, and um, what else was it? Two and gold. Hmm. Uh, uh, that's a shot across the bow of the U.S. dollar, and it won't be the first one. Um, it's for the first time in decades. There's a there's a negative outflow of money out of U.S. Treasuries now, um, meaning there's more money going out selling treasuries than there is money coming in buying treasuries apart from the federal reserve and that is uh you know uh, at offset by the federal reserve buying the heck out of the u.s treasuries yeah, and yeah. that's keeping interest rates low even while there's pressure for interest rates to go up so here's here's the conundrum if interest rates stay low um and they keep printing dollars at the tune of two trillion that was my dog oh. choking on grass that he was He's over there sleeping on a chair. Um, <laughs> the, they're they're buying treasuries to the tune of two trillion. That's new money going into the economy. On top of that, Biden wants to spend another six trillion, which is just breathtaking. To put that in perspective, all of the activity in the whole United States adds up to about twenty trillion dollars a year. Can you imagine the government just coming in and printing six of it. You know, and let's just go from 20 to 26 here. Let's expand this by 30% and just see what happens, right? And just after just printing the money. And as a result, the dollar is going down against the euro. It's going down against other currencies. And that's creating havoc out there in third world nations uh, that are struggling, that are having to buy things that are dollar denominated, right? So I don't know. It, it, we don't know where this is going to go. The Federal Reserve says, Inflation is going to go down. Yeah, we don't temporary. know. We don't know where it's going to go. It seems to be happening. Whereas the last time all the dire warnings were made about inflation, it didn't really happen like this. So this is different than the last time. And we don't know how it's going to turn out. I've been interestingly reading Buffett's early letters and from 1977, he has it on his web, has the letters on his website when inflation was going up like it is now. And I didn't even realize this, but I started reading them. I was like, oh, he has a lot to say about inflation. Of course he does, because that was the predominant force in the economy and in the stock market at the time. So I have been like taking inflation notes like nobody's business and learning so much stuff about it because I really I haven't lived through inflation ever, really. So to me, it's totally like stuff that would be obvious to somebody who has lived through inflation is is not obvious to me. So it's well, been to, to your a point, helpful study. Inflation was so intense in the 1970s that good friends of mine who were managing money really took the position with their funds that this wasn't that the US wasn't going to recover. They were they were yeah. quoting historical uh data that suggested that no major country had ever recovered from 15% inflation or something. It, it always spiraled into hyperinflation 
And uh, as we've spoken about, Jimmy Carter and then Ronald Reagan both stepped in and just crushed inflation with insane interest rates that went as high as 18% on government treasuries, um, which just sucked money out of the economy, of course, into treasuries and created a giant recession that caused Carter to, to lose his job and Reagan to lose his house, right? Not, not his literal house at home, the House of Representatives turned oh. from Republican to Democrat. <laughs> and, um, and these guys, so they basically took, you know, a political bullet for the country to, to stop this raging inflation. Yeah, I think so, nobody knew how it was going to, how obviously, no, nobody knows the future. Nobody knew how it was going to turn out. Buffett wrote in one of the letters, uh, late 70s or early 80s, he wrote something like, he was talking about bonds and saying, he would not buy a 30-year bond at that point because he didn't know what paper currency in the U.S. would be like in 30 years. Right. Which I right. found to be just such an extraordinary thing to say. You don't know what paper currency is going to be like um, in 30 years. Is. That's Buffett basically saying that we don't know that this it's is going to get under control. Exactly. And exactly. I don't want to be in a position of owning a 10% bond when, you know, inflation takes it to 800%. But like, and remember that gold again, as somebody who hadn't lived through right it, there. that like blew my mind that somebody well, could be sitting there going, I don't know what the US dollar is going to be like in 30 years. Well, would it blow your mind if gold went from, let's see, what would be the equivalent? Uh, today at 1700 an ounce, roughly. Let's say it goes to um, three hundred and forty thousand. What is that? Would what that happened? Be, it increased that blow, by that percentage. What percentage is that? Yeah, yeah, twenty times. Twenty times. Yep. Wow. Twenty times. So that would. I did it wrong. I got too many zeros. Thirty-four thousand. Thirty-four thousand. Okay. The point. The point is right. taken. Yeah. So gold from seventeen hundred to thirty-four thousand, compounding. That would be over a ten-year period slightly less actually nine year period but that would be compounding how many how many doubles is that so you know a lot right uh i don't even know 24 80 <laughs> that's six six doubles i think in 10 years so basically gold would be going up at a rate of 40 or 50 percent per year for the next decade in order to achieve the same thing that happened in the 70s which is shocking. And and it was a very rough time all over the, the world. Oh, so mm -hmm. many things were changing. Mm -hmm. And I And I just I'll just say Buffett made something like twenty one percent per year through yeah, that. I, I yeah, absolutely. Which he I that's my takeaway, it. by the way. I'm like reading the doom and gloom and going like he did great. Yeah. It like, was probably his best single decade ever with Syria with a huge amount of money. And I mean, what happens when you get into these really economic dis dislocations is you end up with a lot of fear and people withdraw money from risky assets in times of fear and start putting them into things which are less risky appearing. And of course, if the federal government is raising interest rates, it starts to make treasury bonds look a lot less scary than a stock market, which is just a gigantically mm -hmm. priced. Mm -hmm. um, and all of a sudden, you've got people pulling their money out of the market and into bonds, and mm -hmm. the market just goes boom. And Starts over to make that real estate time, look a little overpriced. Starts to make I mean, everything look a little overpriced. God, it's just so hard to know what's going to happen right here. Yeah. Um, so we want to talk we're about this, yeah? this. Yeah. We're going to explore this in, in great 
you know, we're going to dive into this deeply, and and I think it's really we want to do a little series right on inflation. Now. I think it's really important for you all right now to really be careful with what you're what you're thinking. I, I mean, I, I love the idea that people are going out there and making a million dollars, you know, rolling the dice with you know GameStop and AMC. But please take a little big breather right here. Um, and and one last quote from Charlie on our way out, and that is, there are answers worth billions of dollars in a thirty dollar history book. So if I were you. I would do what Danielle's doing. If you haven't done it already, is read those letters from Buffett. From yeah, the come 70s. join me at the invested practice. It's going to be seven, get, seven get, or eight more weeks it. of it. Yeah. And then get the $30 history book. And this is exactly what Ray Dalio does is they just go deep into history. Ray, of course, is one of the best macro investors in the world and who thinks we are really headed toward the cliff. So um, he thinks we're in the 1930s right now. So maybe read about the 1930s in a $30 history book and take a look at what did well, what did badly. Um, and we will be talking about that with you guys as we go. Yeah. So All that's right. our plan coming up. But I still want to keep finishing the Charlie quotes because I'm really enjoying those. And we only did two today. <laughs> <So> okay. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll talk a little bit more about those. And then we've got the William Green interview, which is going to be cool. Richer wiser, happier, um, coming up in a few weeks. Okay. Thanks everybody. All right. All right, you guys. And, uh, one more out the door, knowing oh. what you don't know is more useful than being brilliant. There you go. I mean, but don't you have to be brilliant to know what you don't know? I mean, that's a tough one for me. Uh, just be humble. That's all. That's why it's tough for you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Goodbye everybody. Oh, I got that one. <laughs> Thanks, Time everybody. Bye. See ya. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And it's really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I really hope you enjoyed it. <laughs>